0: Welcome to We My name is Brenton and I'm joined as always by Danielle. That's me. Thanks for joining us again as we count up the IMDB's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, Raiders number 54 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is Apocalypse Now.
1: This is the end Beautiful friend. This is the End
0: Released in nineteen seventy nine, starring Martin Sheen as the lead, with Marlon Brando and Robert Duvall. Apocalypse Now is a war epic set between Vietnam and Cambodia during the Vietnam War. Based on the serial novella from 1899 by Joseph Conrad, titled Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now is written for the screen by John Milius and is written, produced, music by, and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. So, Heart of Darkness was published as a book in 1902, and that's set in Congo, Africa, Um, and there have been many adaptations of this including a 1958 Loose adaptation with Roddy McDowell and Boris Karloff. Roddy McDowell was the guy behind a lot of the original Planet of the Apes movies. Um, Mm. And Boris Karloff is a classic actor from the Golden Age and a lot of those Universal monster movies. So it's kind of weird seeing them in the the roles. Uh, And there was also a 1993 TV movie starring Tim Roth as Martin Sheen's character uh, with John Malkovich. Um, And even the 2019 science fiction movie Ad Astra with Brad Pitt is a loose retelling of the same story.
2: People are really enamored with this story.
0: Yeah. I like seeing fresh adaptations where it's like, take this idea and then make a sci-fi version of it or something, you know what I mean?
2: Mm.
0: I-, I like seeing those. So um, just a bit of background on this one, because this is a pretty big movie with a very big background. So I had no idea anything about this one before we started, so I'm just going to paint a bit of a picture as to what the background of this movie is so john Milius, who wrote the screenplay went to film school with george lucas and lucas was set to direct before um getting wrapped up in star wars Milius wanted the film to be set on location during this the vietnam War while it was still going on but it took forever to get the movie off the ground and when they did the original like 14 week schedule was extended to 280 days or something and it took a further three years to complete so it took forever the whole span of him having the idea to when it was published was about 10 years.
2: For John Milius?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was his idea um, that he had back when he was in film school. I I don't know where to start with this one. I have a lot to say.
2: Yeah. I'm going to just say what exactly we watched in the order that we watched it in. Sure. So, the version that we watched of Apocalypse Now was... The 40th anniversary final cut, which there's been multiple cuts of this movie and we kind of learned a little bit about them because there was an introduction before the film started as part of the regular running time that just kind of gave a little bit of director's prologue from Francis Coppola just about why this cut was different from the other cuts that had been released.
0: That was actually really quite insightful, yeah, because Mm. he started it being like, well... How do I introduce a movie like this 40 years later? Because he... Like you said, there have been a bunch of cuts of this movie over the years. There was, like, the theatrical, the extended. They did a Redux. Uh, and then we fi- watched the final cut, which only came out in, like, August of last year. I didn't know. I went out and bought the final cut of this in 4K. that was what we watched it in. And it had a bunch of behind the scenes. And this is pretty much, like, the final cut that he, he yeah. made.
2: So we watched the prologue, we watched the movie, and then we watched some of the -the behind-the-scenes making of the movie documentary stuff.
0: Which it says on it, like, it says experience it as the way it was intended. I don't know why it took 40 years.
2: Because of technology, basically the point that I'm trying to make with giving this kind of minutiae around what, what exactly we watched is that this cut was the most what Francis Coppola wanted this movie to be.
0: Yeah, his original version was sort of tweaked, obviously, with his experiences of making the movie and studio pressure. Um, So he added in about another 40 minutes or whatever that was cut out.
2: Apparently, there were whole scenes that were cut out that I think would have been really strange to have missed, you know, like at the plantation and stuff. And we'll get into that but apparently that wasn't in the original theatrical cut yeah. at all.
0: Yeah. Um so we'll also be diving into the documentary of the making of this movie which was released 12 years later. Um it was called Heart of Darkness: A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, depicting all of the struggles that they had making it.
2: And was filmed and kind of created by by his wife, which I think was kind of interesting and gives it a, a cool perspective.
0: The whole thing was very much like a family project.
2: Sounds like the Coppola's just, that's how they do stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was at the store to buy this uh, 4K collection so we could watch this, um, I like buying collections like this, by the way. Like, I'm a bit of a collector. I want, like, definitive things. So, but when I was at the store, there was another collection there that had every single cut that has been published in a single collection. It had, like, six discs. Mm Mm-hmm. And apparently there's a cut that's four and a half hours long, but it was never released commercially.
2: Mm-hmm. I feel like if you watch that, it'd be interesting to watch just to see what they... What, what they, they added and what did. they did Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think it would add anything to the story. And I do want to say that having director's commentary and behind-the-scenes information made this story make more sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. It basically confirmed everything that I had an idea. Like, I, I watched the movie. I thought, okay, maybe he's trying to say this. Uh, and then we watched the behind the scenes, and he basically said, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to say with the movie. Um, And we'll get into that more in spoilers.
2: I just think it's too bad, honestly, that it took me watching the behind the scenes stuff to kind of get that. Like, yeah. I feel like if the movie... I think he got really lucky because he was really worried the movie was going to be a flop, and I think... I think, honestly, it was a little bit, like, it wasn't great, but, like, it did relatively well, but I just, I think it's too bad that that the movie itself couldn't hold its own. It had to have behind-the-scenes and director's commentary to make it stand up
0: really mm, well. Okay, you know? I see what you're saying. I think it just enhanced yeah. it for me. When we finished this movie, we sort of turned to each other, and you said that you didn't really like it. Um, mostly yeah. because of the ending, my initial reaction was, I loved it. This is very much my really? kind of movie. And why? then I watched the documentary Hearts of Darkness, and now I adore it because it basically just confirmed every of the, every one of the feelings that I got from it. It just enhanced every bit of it. And I'd really want to break down an analysis as to why I loved it. It's in the spoiler section. Yeah. When we had the episode on Alien, episode 50, we had filmmaker and director Mike Petchy on, and he seems to really like this, and at the end we mentioned to him that we had Apocalypse Now coming up, and we hadn't seen it before, and he basically just laid out why it's also important to watch the documentary, um, and kind of what they were going for with the movie. So I'm just going to play that for you as sort of like, so that you guys, if you haven't also seen the movie or the documentary, you sort of get an idea as to what's actually depicted in this filmmaker's apocalypse documentary, just so that you know what we're actually talking about.
1: Oh my God. How have you not seen (laughs) apocalypse? Uh, All right. I'll do the same thing I did with Kurosawa for you. Okay. Here we go. So the thing that's fascinating about apocalypse now, watch apocalypse now. And then there's a documentary that you can find. I think it's called hearts of darkness.
0: Oh, it is. I've heard of this. So
1: the interesting thing about Apocalypse Now is that I think Coppola did this. I might fuck this up, but I think Coppola did this after The Godfather stuff. Um, yeah. Because he, had, he basically became a studio darling because of The Godfather and because of all those movies. And so they gave him the ability to go and shoot this fucking epic, this huge epic that he had to go do in the jungle. To the point, I forget what jungle he was shooting in, but he had a deal with the army there. He was literally paying the army to use their helicopters. Hmm. And in the middle of his shots, the army would just take off because they would have to go do some army shit. And he (laughs) would have like these giant shots planned out. The documentary is just as good as the film. It is just as good to watch this director slowly go insane. And he dragged his family down there and they're all living down in the jungle and they're all shooting this thing. And then he has to deal with Marlon Brando, who's a fucking crazy man. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I heard he was, like, impossible to work with on this project.
1: Yeah, Martin Sheen has a heart attack. So there's a very infamous scene where he punches a mirror. He literally has a heart attack in that scene. Um, the movie is so intense, but the movie is gorgeous. And I, I think um, I think Hearts of Darkness was the original book. And the, the premise of the book is that the further down the river you go, the more fucked up things get. Mm. And, and so... Wow, people are just beeping their horns out here. What the fuck? You guys are supposed to be, (laughs) you guys are supposed to be quarantined. I hope you're wearing masks. Uh, so the, uh, further down the river you go, the more fucked up it gets. And he does such a great job going from like a Vietnam movie to like this surrealist sort of nightmare thing. Mm. And the lighting in it is amazing the lighting in is fucking phenomenal and the acting in is great. Uh, there's a very young, what's his name? Not Morgan Freeman who played Morpheus and, uh, Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne. There's a very young teenage Lawrence Fishburne in it. Um, I think, yeah, there's a very young Harrison Ford in it. Uh, Oh really? Oh yeah. And this is like right around that time in that camp where like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all that stuff, Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola were all buddies. Mm. Um, So, it's a fucking great movie. Uh, It's a really slow burn, but it's a good watch. I'd be fascinated to see what you guys think.
2: It was really good, by the way. Like, I really... The documentary? Yeah, I really enjoyed watching the documentary after having watched the movie. And just... Because I'm kind of one of those people anyway. Like, if I like something, like, if I like an artist... I want to know everything about mm. that musician, you know what I mean, or everything. Like so having stuff like that, like I naturally gravitate towards stuff like that anyway. So I I really enjoyed the documentary and I found it immensely helpful and it rounded out my experience of the movie. So I would highly recommend watching the documentary but after It's kind of you essential. Movie. Yeah
0: it plays as just, like, a continuation. You kind of have to have it to really understand the full extent of what the hell's actually going on, you know? And it makes you watch the actual movie and appreciate it better on your second watch. Yeah. And I also just wanted to, like, explain Marlon Brando in the sense that, like, it was quite well known how difficult he was to work on this project, and we spoke about that in the clip with Mike just then. So... Uh, I don't think I've really seen a Marlon Brando movie before. So I didn't really know who is he, what's his history. So I just wanted to paint a picture because he basically just did this project as like, except for The Godfather, of course. Yeah. uh, As just like a paycheck, right? He didn't care at all. His deal, his contract stipulated that he did, uh, he would make $3 million for three weeks of work. He would only work weekdays only, not past 5.30 p.m., And then when he was there, he didn't work for the first four days. He refused to read his lines uh, or read the script. He wanted to change everything about the character, even though he hadn't read the source material. He
2: had a whole year to read this novella and let's be. Or get into shape.
0: Like he weighed over 300 pounds when he turned up.
2: (sighs) A novella is a very small little book. He had over a year to read this novella and he never read it. Like the least you could fucking do.
0: So, Marlon Brando got into films, his first feature film was in 1950. Now, before this, he was a stage actor, sure, but um, he was nominated for Best Actor Oscar in 1952, 53, 54, and he won in 1955 for On the Waterfront. He was then nominated again for 58, 73, 74, and 1990, winning again for Vito Corleone in The Godfather. So, considering that, he was nominated four times in the first six years in the industry. So that just mm-hmm. went... Like, his ego went through Straight the roof and it yeah. stayed there. And it only heightened again by his nominations in the 70s and what happened with The Godfather just before this movie was made. So, undoubtedly, he's one of the greatest actors to ever live, but he quickly became a smug asshole because he knew it. So that's essentially, like, you have to understand, like, why was Brando such an asshole? Get that guy and then put him in the jungle like he doesn't care. He's getting paid three mil for three weeks of work. You know, he's going to drag that shit Mm. out. Um, So that was just sort of a background as to like, he's a very good actor, but smug. Mm. So like I said, this is very much my kind of movie. Even just going into it, I like three hour slow build epics. It's sort of a character study. And we also said on the episodes on like Dances with Wolves and Lord of the Rings, which are also very long, slow Mm -hmm. sort of movies. These are journey epics, you know, they kind of need to be three hours in order for the audience to feel like you're going on this journey with them. You know what I mean? It it has to feel like an endurance event. You can't make these things for the particular story that they're trying to tell. You can't make it quick.
2: By the end of of an hour and a half, you wouldn't feel like you'd been there forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be drawn in, um, washed over, and absorb, like, feel everything about it. That's the kind of why I like the Godfather movies as well. They're also very long epics. And a lot doesn't really happen in a lot of the Godfathers. A lot of it's just a character study, just sitting with people at the table, or looking at people just interacting over, over cigarettes and wine, you know what I mean? But I love that, you know? I just like sitting there with them and just watching it. So that's why I'm like, okay, I'm excited to watch Apocalypse Now. Um, and that's probably why, ultimately, I I enjoyed it in the end.
2: See, and for me, it's interesting to me, the comparison between you and me, because I'm one who, even before we started this podcast and even now, I'm not one to just stick on a movie just to watch, necessarily, especially if it's not one I haven't seen before. I think it's a commitment issue, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but... Like I'm not one to want to sit down and watch a regular 2-hour movie just cuz at the best of times so a 3-hour movie is is difficult for me. I kind of have to know I'm going to get a, what the payoff is going to be out of it. So when I was watching this
0: So you kind of like to watch TV shows for that reason. Like I want a 20-minute commitment or a 40-minute depending on what the show is and that's it. You know what it's done and if I want another episode later, I'll come back later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think you like to sit in one place and watch one story the whole time.
2: No, and I'm finding too that plot is very important to me. And I think, you know, initially when I first started to absorb a lot more media, whether it was novels or movies or whatever, I think honestly people who are who are in it for the just the plot kind of miss the point. But mm. what I'm realizing, so I've kind of grown from that and I can appreciate a character study but I think it's it's still reasonable for me to say I prefer if there's a decent amount of plot. Like, do you know how annoying it is to read a character study of a novel with no story? Oh, I can imagine. Horrible.
0: Because, again, what Mike was saying on that episode is when you show it visually in a movie, it's about style. It's also one of the reasons, like, I wrote down here, I fucking loved it, and It's for the reasons I said before, but it's plus like you've got the strange story, but you've also got like this psychedelic music and the lighting and the things that he chooses to focus on. Like, I think Coppola is a fucking good director. And this, it probably shows that more than the Godfather movies, honestly. Just by what he chooses to show and not show, it's incredible imagery. I made a comparison to myself about the movie The Revenant. We said on that episode, each frame that's shown on the screen looks like a professional photograph yeah that's kind of what i'm I'm getting out of it you know like it he shows you things that you wouldn't think to see it's very
2: specifically and artfully chosen yeah yes
0: yeah that that adds to my experience the whole thing yeah uh i think we're going to go into spoilers now and talk more about the movie rather than around it you know and, and the history behind it so spoilers
2: I feel really guilty as a viewer, because like knowing the struggle that everyone went through to make this, and then for me to say, eh, I didn't really like it, like I feel like I feel like I'm not allowed to say that. I
0: see what you're saying, but I think that's fine,
2: and like I want to be clear, the reason I don't like it is because for me, it kind of felt like it just fizzled, mm. so like um, you're going along with the plot. And they've got a definitive objective in mind, right? They've got to get to the end of the river. Like, for the whole, probably first three quarters of the movie, you're going along, you know, they've got a definitive mission in mind. They've got to get to the end of the river. And then they get to the end of the river. And it just, I feel like you get there and it's like, well, now what? And it just gets really weird for a lot of reasons that, like I said, we'll talk about. And then it just kind of ends you know i think it got to a point where it was getting
0: just too probably
2: long. well less too long but more you were probably really invested because at that point it's more of a character study especially for brando's character and i think by that point honestly for me it had been so long
0: i thought you would have said for martin sheen's character
2: Well, the whole movie is kind of a character study for Martin Sheen's character. Right, okay. We meet Brando's character at the end, and that's specifically like when they're in the back room talking, is when I noticed myself, I'm not fucking paying attention anymore.
0: (laughs) You Mm. know? Um, No, I found that's some of the most gripping parts because it's like this is the confrontation that they've been leading up to for three hours
2: yeah and I got there and I and I'm like I've been waiting for it for three hours and I'm like this is it
0: well I was just wondering like no it was more than that though like I I really don't we had to turn the subtitles on just so that you could understand what Brando was saying because he's a mumbly fuck at the best of time yeah (laughs) Um, no but it was really about like them both coming to the terms of what they're going to do because Martin Sheen was sent there to kill him, Kurtz knew that he was there to kill him and he was kind of okay with it in a weird yeah. way. But the whole ending from when he arrives there is basically the decision, should I or shouldn't I? You know, mm. Martin Sheen's character. And it's basically him trying to decide why, what should I do? And and I don't know, I just think that's an exploration between the two and the dialogue. I kind of liked it. I really liked it. And I think that that was sort of... It was a good ending, a resolution. It wasn't like an action-packed Vietnam War kind of resolution. Maybe that's what what the difference is. Maybe you're expecting something else from it.
2: They had said that was initially what the end was supposed to be.
0: Yeah, Coppola does say that he's like, I don't know how to end this movie.
2: Did I want that? No, but I think it was just... Martin Sheen's character, Willard, I felt like he almost went soft. Because here he is, he's a hired hitman, right? Like, he's worked for the CIA. How? What did he say? He had been officially hired to assassinate six people previously. And you, you've you seen from his character up until this point, he's pretty calm and collected and quiet. He's not phased
0: by much at all.
2: Exactly. And so for me, for him to get there and then just be like, Should I? Shouldn't I? I'm like, you've never had a question of this in your mind before ever. Why suddenly now?
0: Because of everything that Kurt stood for, everything that he read, the reasons why people were following him in the first place, it was kind of like, I I could be missing things here or interpreting my own things, but I feel like anyone in that circumstance would make that question. And his other targets will probably be like, oh yeah, absolutely, this guy definitely should go. Um, but there's a lot of things that are placed throughout the whole movie from the beginning that mm. makes you question, why Why are they trying to take this guy out? He's not really a threat. And he is brilliant. Like, he obviously has because the record. He's a nut! He is a nut, but he's just another <laughs> nut in the jungle. Like, who cares? Um, th- I can see why he would be questioning that, though. Like, that yeah. was believable to me, even though he was a professional.
2: Mm. It just... To me, it just, it felt like it kind of fizzled.
0: I can see that.
2: You know, like it, and and again, I feel guilty as the audience member, knowing that that was like Coppola's greatest fear (laughs) about this movie, and in making this movie, that he didn't know how to end it. Like, I felt like they get to the end of the river, you know, they've had this whole, we've had this whole three hours or whatever, three quarters of the movie, very specific mission like even though it was psychedelic and weird like it's still been quite militant up until that point like militant feeling you know we're going through these steps and we're following mm-hmm. protocols and we've got a mission and then you get there and now what you know you mm-hmm. know what needs to happen but it's not happening that way because this is such a surreal place And it just... Everything kind of just gets... Like, it felt like you were on LSD the whole time you are there.
0: Yeah.
2: You know? Um, I just felt like it just gets really, really weird, and then it ends.
0: You know what I think the difference is? If you spend the entire movie consuming yourself in the setting and the characters, the ending pays off. And if you don't, then it just seems weird.
2: Immersing yourself?
0: Yeah. So I feel like I did... And you didn't as much. So I can see the disconnect Yeah,
2: Well, and I feel funny because I feel like I could get to the place where you are with how you watched it and how you felt about it. But I'd have to give it a second watch and I'm not prepared to do that. No,
0: that's, that's fine. I think the overarching... Like you thought that like it's weird and then it ends. But I think the overarching story and the feeling not only represents the character of Willard, like there's a reason why it's this long journey building up to something and then it was not much of a payoff and then it ends. That represents Willard, but it also represents the American occupation of Vietnam and Mm -hmm. Coppola's experience making the movie. So it was like this long, pointless drag through the mud and that's kind of how he felt about it. You know, I I wouldn't say that Coppola... Resolution wasn't great because I think he produced something very creative and productive here. Mm. Um, But I think it's meant to more represent the American occupation in that war.
2: So it's kind of a great big metaphor for it is
0: because so I I, that was the meaning that I picked up from watching the whole movie.
2: And I think I have like especially when I'm in that mindset and I'm tired, right? Like I get to that point, I'm like, "But what was the point, though?" Yeah, you know, and. I get very tunnel vision e about it, um, so yeah, I can appreciate that. I just think to myself, like being in the jungle for that long, I reckon would make anyone weird. <laughs> hey, like <laughs> it'd make anybody a little bit loopy.
0: Mm. There was something that he said at the beginning of the documentary where he says he was he was going around touring promoting the movie. He said, "This movie's not about the Vietnam War. This is the Vietnam War. It is chaotic. Yeah. It is slow." It's kind of pointless, like everyone slowly went insane in the jungle. That's the point.
2: And that's what it was.
0: Because for Willard, for the Americans, for Coppola, all three of them, they went further and further into the jungle, so far up the river that they just couldn't go back until they went insane. And that's the point of the movie.
2: Yeah. And I feel like that's a really apt statement to say it's not about the war, it is the war. Yeah, that
0: really stuck with me.
2: Anything you look at in terms of how the soldiers, like the veterans, behaved and were treated when they came back. Like, everybody was fucked up when they came back. Mm. Like, in a different way than other veterans were from other wars.
0: I think it's because more so with the Vietnam War, the Americans shouldn't have been there. And that's not my opinion or whatever. That's like historical fact. And that's very much what Coppola was trying to say, because I feel like while watching the movie, this movie really kind of highlights how brutal the Americans were in Vietnam. They would blow up a civilian village and the, the massacre on the fishing boat. I didn't know if that's what his intentions, but then when I watched the documentary, he said, this is absolutely my intentions because there's this line where it says they would cut them in half with a machine gun and then give them a band-aid and i'm like yeah. oh yeah that's what he's trying to say here he did not like the way the americans handled the war the us were very much seen as terrorists uh and the people in vietnam these days they call it the american war it wasn't about anyone else it was about how the americans treated them yeah so i think that was really his point of the whole thing i really do like just this this metaphor of like willard's journey was as weird and pointless as the americans were and I just think it's a really cool representation and the imagery is amazing.
2: I don't quite understand. So the very beginning scene when Willard's in the hotel. So the sequence of scenes, right?
0: Yeah, because, sorry, we we just started talking about the ending immediately. We didn't, like, talk about all yeah. the weird things that happened for the first two and a half hours. Yeah, so the beginning.
2: Um, That sequence of scenes was shot well into the shooting schedule. Like, I think it was after day 100.
0: Was that meant to have represented, like, the end? Because it shows some flashbacks as to what, what happens at the end of the movie, and then it, and then it starts. Or is it meant to be I linear? Don't...
2: See, that's what I'm trying to figure out, is that I'm pretty sure it's meant to be linear, because when they rock up, like, when the MPs or whoever rock up to give him his orders...
0: They say, here's the assassination order.
2: Yeah, and he's sloshed. You know, like, he's so... Yeah, that's what's a little confusing for me. You know what I mean?
0: Because I could believe that this is how he's dealing with the aftermath of the events of the movie.
2: That makes sense. Well, and again, watching the behind the scenes, I understand why creating that scene was important in the context of creating the movie. But where it sits in the movie, I'm trying to figure out, like, why is he having this internal struggle already? Yeah. Before anything happens.
0: So that's why I'm thinking you know? it happened at the end. It's just a little confusing. that Maybe there was just two different hotel scenes. He was just sloshed in the beginning. He got given the order. Then he goes on this journey. And then when he gets back to the hotel room in Saigon, that hasn't changed. But he has. It basically shows all this imagery. Yeah. And it's all this stuff that's stuck with him.
2: Because he looks out the window, remember? That's the yeah. very first okay, line. Okay, so that's he what I think is happening window. here. Okay. See, that wasn't super clear. Yeah.
0: It's just a little confusing because it cuts from him being very drunk or intoxicated in a hotel room to him being drunk and intoxicated in a hotel room. Uh, Maybe that's just trying to bookend the movie and showing that nothing really happened in the end. Like, you basically just did a full revolution and ended up where you were before. Um, Yeah. I kind of do really like that scene where he is going nuts. He's naked. He punches the mirror.
2: He covers himself in his own blood.
0: I didn't realize like he actually did cut his hand open on that mirror and then he starts like rolling around and writhing in his own blood.
2: And that was it's all like, improvised. That's such, a,
0: that's such a personal scene just to watch it being filmed in the behind the scenes. Um, Mike said that he had a heart attack during that scene. It's not entirely true. He had it uh, a couple of months later. But he, he did have it and it, it stole the production. That was kind of the point. But that scene was, was incredibly personal. And he did hurt himself. <laughs> he sliced his thumb open. Just everything about this was just like, you couldn't do that again. You couldn't make a movie like this today. You just can't.
2: Or it'd be very difficult.
0: There was even that scene towards the end where they cut up that bull.
2: Oh, I hated that.
0: Uh, they yeah. didn't have to show that three times. That was real.
2: That that was, like, there were absolutely animals harmed in the making of this movie.
0: Yeah, it's one of the only, like, big blockbuster Hollywood movies that doesn't have the disclaimer at the end that says, no animals were harmed in the creation of this. Uh, because it was part of, the, like, the Filipino ritual thing that Traditions, they were doing. Yeah, yeah. they were just and there to again, film
2: it. that was all chance. Like, it yeah. was all because they hired a tribe, like, an, a native tribe, Because it was easier to hire a tribe than to hire extras and pay them to dress up like a tribe. It's Um, so
0: weird that this movie got made. Yeah. Like, in the first place. Like, I think it was kind of important to show that once. I didn't need to see it three or four times. Because it just plays the same thing over and over again. It's like, okay, you can stop now.
2: Well, and I think... Isn't that an interesting commentary on life, that I'm more able to watch people be shot at by machine guns than a cow hacked at with a machete? Well, because you
0: know that's real. Like, if you told me that that was just special effects, I'd be like, damn, that's good special effects, you know? I would look more into it. I'd be looking closely and like, oh, okay, I can see where this is put together, you know? Whereas if you know it's real, you do the opposite and you cringe away Well,
2: and I guess a big part of it, too, is that it was alive when they did it. yeah. If it was dead, I would have a lot easier Different. time watching that. Yeah. Blah, I didn't like that. Yeah. Um.
0: Um, so, from the beginning of the movie, you then go on to... He gets his orders. He meets Colonel Kilgore.
2: Is that his name?
0: <laughs> yeah, Robert Duvall's character. <laughs> um, and pretty much most of the movie, I feel like it plays like a road trip movie. Yeah. But... It's just a bunch of guys on a boat going up a river in Vietnam instead of, like, you know, a normal goofy stoner comedies. Because just the the way that they interact with people and meet people, it's just random events just jump out at them. Um, That's very much what it sort of plays like. And one of the guys in the documentary actually compared it to The Odyssey because there's just a lot of obscure characters that sort of just jump out. And I kind of like that as well. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking, like, more than anything... You've got the surfing colonel at the beginning, which was weird that they had such a th- surfing theme that they wanted to go about surfing but during the war. But apparently, that
2: was like a big part of the war.
0: Probably because they just got bored, you know? Um, yeah. You've got the surfing colonel. You've got the horny, like, Playboy raid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've got the, the LSD puppy guy. Yeah the multiple killing of civilians, you got the eccentric rogue colonel at the end, Uh, you got the French funeral scene that's in there. It's just really messed up experience, and it's just showing how chaotic and unpredictable it all was, and I really feel like that message really came across. Yeah. Because it's like no two scenes really work with each other, but they're all there.
2: the really crazy thing, like, you sit... So you sit in this and you watch it, and it all feels really believable. And, like not out of place and then you sit back and you actually think about what all just happened like we just did and it sounds ridiculous it sounds ridiculous doesn't it and i think that was the whole point you know it's that like if i go home and tell you about the shit that happened like you wouldn't fucking believe me you know and i think that was the point of the yeah
0: see i i liked this movie so much that even just me talking about it to you right now i i instantly want to rewatch it like that's just my instinct. You go
2: nuts, honey. I, I,
0: I will. <laughs> um, I honestly think this is probably like in my top five favorite movies of all time now. I'd have to rewatch it a few more times to be able to jump to that conclusion. But um mm. I really enjoyed it. The last episode we actually did was Grave of Fireflies, and I had a very strong reaction to that as well. Just because mm. it's like, wow, how have I never come across this movie that's very much my kind of movie?
2: I feel like this movie is to your taste in movies like Fleetwood Mac is to your taste in music. You think so? Yeah.
0: I, don't, I wouldn't consider myself a great big Fleetwood Mac fan.
2: Yeah, but you you like them for similar reasons, I think.
0: Okay, that's an interesting analogy yeah. because Fleetwood Mac I like to just chuck on in the background. And again, it's kind of like psychedelic sort of sounds that you just sort of get it absorbed into. Yep. It is similar reasons. Like I can see that, yeah. Yep. Something about the 70s, man.
2: It was a great time. Yeah. Wish I'd been there.
0: Oh, I also just wanted to say on the behind the scenes, there was this two minute clip that showed the evolution from what it looked like in 1979 when they released it to what it was re- like for the 40th anniversary. Just and it the- went through Betamax, VHS, Laserdisc.
2: The visual and audio quality is
0: what yeah, was changing. Yeah, they did the yeah. VHS widescreen, DVD, the jump to Blu-ray, the jump from Blu-ray to 4K. I don't know how they do that with grainy footage, but in 4K, this looked and sound amazing.
2: Amazing. And I was impressed even just because when you think about it, you th- you think about a remaster and you think about visuals because that's what immediately jumps out at you but having that comparison side by side actually showed how much work they did on the sound mixing yeah and it was incredible like i would have really appreciated watching that either with stereo headphones or surround sound yeah just to see what they did because you could like the way that they changed the way the helicopter sounded when you're in the helicopter versus when you're outside of it.
0: I wonder if they like re-recorded some sounds and stuff. Yeah, they remixed the whole audio. It's amazing that Coppola was still working on this after you know 45 years from when he started working on it. You know what I mean?
2: This was probably the most personal film he ever watched. Like,
0: I would have absolutely agree with that. Yeah, or
2: sorry, ever made. Yeah, so he probably would have been so invested in it.
0: And the, yeah, the action and war scenes were pretty fucking awesome. Like when that is that flyby where they practical. just dropped napalm. Like,
2: like how in <laughs> see, it's they just blew another- up so
0: many trees. Like they they just put explosives on palm trees and just blew them all up. And huts.
2: Another amount of ridiculousness, like another layer of ridiculousness. The helicopters were rented from the Philippine Army and flown by soldiers, and they had to have. The helicopter's taken away, like, three times to go to battle during They'll the take, filming. like,
0: six at a time, yeah, it's like... Yeah,
2: like, just, like, like, what director these days would make a deal with the president?
0: Yeah, he made a deal with the president of the Philippines, I'll pay you for each helicopter each day, like, like oh, how did this movie get made?
2: <laughs> like, now I'm actually thinking about him. I'm like, you're right, you couldn't, you couldn't do something like this today.
0: For a number of reasons.
2: And because when you initially said that, I'm like, oh, well, you know, you probably could. No, you couldn't. And that's almost sad because I feel like the world has become overregulated in a way. You're what all... I was going
0: to say. And that's essentially what you said.
2: Yeah. Like, I'm not at all promoting anarchism. That's not what I'm saying. But it's like everything has to have a process and be signed off. And it's like we can't just like we're just people, you know, and we're just I'm going to sound so high for a second
0: (laughs) we're just people man just
2: we're just (sighs) we're just people and we used to be able to just go around and do the things we needed you're hungry you went and picked a potato or something and and now you can't do that
0: look the reason why that that there are regulations and rules in place and people to stop you from doing this sort of stuff is because this killed a lot of people metaphorically trying to make this movie um, yeah. And it, it probably wasn't a good idea. A lot of people got hurt uh, yeah. physically and financially. So that's why there are rules in place. They don't want you to make movies like this anymore because it's kind of a dangerous thing. It's risky. Everyone knew that even in the 70s, you know? Yeah, so there's a reason for just, it. There is.
2: I want to see things come out of life experiences. You if anyone I mean?
0: listening to this has any other recommendations about something like this movie in the sense that it was hell to make and it's an interesting story to go looking into or something like this movie in the sense that it's another three-hour deep dive into this sort of thing i would love to hear it because this is very much up my alley
2: what was the one about the boat that they carried over a mountain
0: oh yeah i don't that's a very good comparison actually that i'm trying to remember what it was it was i think that was in the 70s as well
2: was that about, like, the Panama Canal or something? Y-
0: I think so. It was in yeah. Peru, I think. Somewhere like that. It was, like, South America and Latin America. Uh, they tried to um, carry a steamboat. It was, a- it was a- depicting a true story of someone who carried a steamboat over a mountain. And in order to film the movie based on the true events, they actually had to do it by hand in the 70s. Uh, so that's very much a good analogy um, for the kind of movie that I want to watch again.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um I don't know, it just fascinates me. It fascinates me. Again, going on uh, just a bit of a tangent with um, Brando's character and his non-cooperation. I just really think that because he, he showed up completely overweight because was, he was meant to be this like really rigid, built kind of uh, military colonel, so they, they just shroud him in so much shadow. And I think it just really adds to the mystery of Kurtz, mm. because they just, they just didn't want to show him on screen, so everything is just a silhouette, and it's a great use of lighting in the end, like, you really sort of added to this character. I much prefer the depiction of Kurtz than it would have been just a generic military guy coming out.
2: Well, and I didn't even really, it didn't jump out at me like, oh, he's fat, that doesn't make sense. To me, if anything, I was like... Well, of course he would be.
0: He's let himself go. He's not himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's it.
2: he's lost his mind. Like, of course, that's not going to be at the top of his priorities. Yeah. You know, so I didn't even question it.
0: Yeah. Um. I also thought that there was something interesting that we watched about. There was footage of Coppola talking to Dennis Hopper, who plays the eccentric photographer at the end there. Mm. And essentially, mm-hmm. most of Dennis Hopper's lines were completely improvised. And Coppola in- sort of encouraged that. But it was interesting because he's saying to him, I'll let you forget your lines and throw them away if you've read them. And I completely yeah. respect that. He's like, read your lines and then I'll let you forget them so that you sort of have an essence a sense of what the character should be and sort of an overarching idea as to how eccentric this guy is and what his mentalities are
2: cuz they kept bitching at each other cuz he he was hired relatively late in production and so was kind of behind everyone else so he didn't he didn't know his lines when he needed to kind yeah, of Yeah so he
0: would improvise it and Coppola's like well don't do that unless you've read the lines and then you can imp-. yeah so yeah. I just I I really understood what Coppola was saying just by watching him interact with the people on set mm.
1: it's
0: fascinating that's the whole thing <laughs> It was almost a 5 hour movie and documentary combination but I was, like, on the edge of my seat for most of it, even though it's very slow.
2: I reckon you'd go home at the end of all that. Like, how do you even go home at the end of all that? You know? Well,
0: that's kind of, again, reflection of Willard. And he's like, I don't know what to do after this. Who am I? You know? And that's very, again, reflection to the American occupation. They're like, well, what are we doing after this war? You know what I mean? Um... Yeah, I just think the metaphors are threefold in what it's Mm -hmm. trying to represent and everything. And I think it's just, it's really well done. Coppola's direction is some of the best I've ever seen.
2: Overall, you really liked it. I did.
0: I'm glad I bought it.
2: (laughs) Overall, I can really appreciate it. You know, I didn't mind it.
0: I don't think that you were a massive fan of the Godfather movies, but you're like, I appreciate it. It's not really my taste, but that's fine.
2: Well, just because, again, they were so epic, you know, and that's the thing is that, like, I don't have to fall in love with them to say, like, I can appreciate that that was a good movie and how much effort yeah. went into making that, you know?
0: I-, I think he was also saying that that French dinner scene was cut from the theatrical version, and I think that's kind of pivotal. Yeah. Especially when it's he's very much laying out for you what his political ideas are around it because it's a french man saying that like this is our land just as much as it is the vietnamese's land yeah so i think that's it's kind of kind of a scene i think
2: yeah i'd be curious to see what's included in each of the different cuts i'm not going to go out of my way to <laughs> actually find out
0: i didn't get the six disc set
2: <laughs> um but i would be curious to know what was taken out because like we said, we watch this movie as it was intended by the director to be created. And I've
0: always said that I've always preferred extended cuts or director's cuts to the theatrical. If I have the option, we've, like for every movie that we've covered on this list, we've always gone for the extended.
2: Well, and I just think, like, I remember when I kind of discovered director's cuts, like the first time I ever saw a director's cut and then saw the original, I was like, but that changes the whole story. Like I I don't understand. I do understand actually. You know, I'm I'm saying I don't understand why you wouldn't allow that creative freedom, but it's because there's constraints. There's time constraints, there's budget constraints, there's
0: A lot of it's money, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um I just think it's unfortunate. So I'm glad that as a consumer of media, I have the option to choose, you know. Yeah. I definitely recommend watching it just because, like, to sit back and watch it and see how everything is, like, practical effects, you Mm. know, the care that went into making this and some of, like, the visual artistry of it, it is nice to watch visually, even if the story don't make sense sometimes.
0: And there's also the pop culture importance, you know, you get more references, Mm. you understand like the movie scene more, you know. This is very much like, yeah. like Mike said, he's like, how have you not seen this movie? <laughs> Good question, Mike. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on all the socials. We're most active on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook, comment on SoundCloud or YouTube, or support us on Patreon.
2: And until next time, thanks for listening.
0: There's a moth getting around.
2: I know. It came out of the laundry. It flew out of my underwear. <laughs>